Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks, Knight Frank's property podcast. I'm Anna Ward. Today, we'll be looking at the impact of UK economic uncertainty and high cost of debt on development, from traditional house building to the key living sectors, student, built to rent and seniors housing. So our latest research shows we are facing a significant supply crunch across the board. Planning consents for new homes are currently nearly 20% below their pre-COVID 2017-19 average. Meanwhile, delivery in the student sector has slowed down considerably. Fewer than 15,000 new purpose-built student beds will be added to supply in 2023-24. That's a 28% fall on the previous year's delivery. Turning to seniors' housing, the numbers are pretty tiny relative to demand. Just 8,008 units were built last year. And finally, rental listings are around 52% lower than the 2017-19 average. So that's driving demand for build-to-rent. Joining me to discuss the state of these markets are Knight Frank Partner and Head of Development Partnerships, Charlie Dugdale, and Associate in our Living Investment Research Team, Katie O'Neill. Hi, Charlie and Katie. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me. Hi, Anna. So, Charlie, we'll kick off with you first. Clearly, lots going on, but how is the state of the UK economy impacting development viability from your perspective? Demand is definitely down on where it was. You might argue it's proven more resilient than might have been expected, but it, but it is noticeably down. Comparing the response of recent marketing to where we were a year ago, we're, we're receiving approximately 30% less offers for a given site than we did before. Pricing, as I know you've done a lot of research on this as well, but we're seeing pricing down anything from maybe 14 to 30% on, on where it was. And offers that are being made are, are being made on deferred terms and no one's taking a view on issues that, frankly, they might have done before. The rising cost of finance is a big part of what's going on and it has materially impacted on demand for housing as the end product of development. We've seen absorption rates falling from where we were. The long-term average is about 0.7. That's 0.7 sales per week per site, which is how we normally look at it as an industry. And those are now down at sort of 0.5 to 0.6. Doesn't sound an awful lot, but that has quite a big impact on viability. And EPC data also points to the same trend with transactions falling some uh, I think I saw 13.5% in the quarter to to June um, versus the previous year. So when 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 house builders see their ability to to sell falling off, they then slow their production and they slow their land buying activities in in line with that. Holes still open up in their land pipelines, and that's why we occasionally see one house builder bidding more strongly for a for a permission site. And they do that by taking a, a keener view on their requisite profit margin at a point in time. And so I suppose that's that's what we're seeing is that the need for land or accepting a lower margin is kind of been a bit of a cushion for where pricing might have been otherwise if you just looked at the fundamentals. Yeah, well, I've certainly been reading about house builders lowering their margins. So they're expecting to make less profit in the years ahead. You mentioned various types of land purchases. So our most recent survey actually shows that this is a survey for our Corsi Land Index. And um, we spoke to over 45 house builders and 40% of them said they deferred payments for land. 
roughly a quarter renegotiated terms on land purchases and a fifth withdrew deals off the market. So does that sort of reflect what you've been seeing as well, Charlie? Yeah, it really does. They're also looking more at sort of partnership structures, I think it's fair to say. That's a function of the same trend there, that they're looking for ways to access land in a capital-like structure. So partnership is just that. They don't have to buy the land up front. Therefore, they get in on the land pipeline that might be might be longer term by its very nature. And the work I get involved in tends to be the sort of new settlement, garden, village, urban extension. They tend to be larger in, in scale and therefore moving into partnership of that sort of project can create a long-term pipeline. Katie, from your point of view, how are you seeing the living sectors being impacted by the current economic uncertainty? I know people tend to think of these sectors as counter-cyclical and, you know, clearly various factors point to ongoing demand. But presumably, just like new homes, development must be impacted at the moment. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Anna. Although counter-cyclical, there are macroeconomic challenges. And I think the key issue for all these markets across the living asset classes, so BTR, PBSA, seniors, that outlook for inflation, interest rates and just general economic activity is really what's important for the next kind of six to, to 12 months. Now, recent data releases definitely look considerably better than they did at the start of the year. That said, though, there are macroeconomic challenges ahead. Some positives in the fact that UK inflation climbed less than economists were expecting it to in the year to June. That was about 7.9% down from 8.7% the month previous. And although that does remain significantly well off that 2% target, the easing of CPI should definitely improve overall sentiment and bring down that interest rate expectation. And which of the various areas that you are tracking, given the strength of demand relative to supply, where do you think in future years we'll see the most pressure there? Because I guess it's quite a demographic point, isn't it? Because in theory, something like one in four of us will be over 65 by 2040. Meanwhile, you've got this sort of unprecedented boom in 18-year-olds driven by higher birth rates in the early 2000s, etc. And then I don't think I need to get too much into the rental demand point. So with built-to-rent and single-family housing being in high demand. So yeah, where do you see the kind of biggest pain point there for your new supply? Because obviously it's a bit unclear at the moment where that will all come from, given that some you know, delivery rates across the board seem to be slowing down. Yeah, delivery rates have slowed across the board. So true. And I think what we know for sure is we need more beds across every life cycle kind of cohort. So that from student, young professional, multifamily, senior living, we we need more beds in every asset class. You quoted some of those figures at the start, but seniors development this year, only about 8K. It's not big, is it? I mean, it's not. Although representing a small increase Relative to demand, it's significantly still short on that misalignment is still so strong. The market kind of suggests for seniors, we need about 50,000 new senior beds a year. So we're well off that. Indeed. I think BTR, our annual delivery this year, is, is set to be about that twelve to, to 15,000 beds. And then PBSA, we saw a stark fall in PBSA supply delivery. Only about less than 15,000 PBSA beds have been delivered for the 23-24 academic cycle, which is far short of demand. Charlie, would you say then that on major long-term schemes, you've got the master developer thinking quite carefully around the balance of house builder to senior living operator, and perhaps thinking more about that now, given the current cost pressures? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely constantly up for discussion. 
the real challenge at the moment is maintaining delivery rates, the so-called absorption, making sure that in a much weaker market when transactions have dropped substantially, how can everyone be gainfully employed on site delivering housing? Uh, well, that you know, you've got to look at different products. We've seen a lot of house builders sell down stock in the last six months. Um, we've seen a lot of single family housing investors start looking quite keenly at the sector. Seniors are part of the cocktail that, that helps schemes maximise their absorption rate. Yeah, I saw in March, actually, that there was a deal with Barclay Homes to fund a senior living scheme in Paddington, for example. I don't know if you know any others off the top of your head on the senior side, but it does seem to be something that's recurring more commonly at the moment. In our survey as well, actually, a fifth of house builders there said that sales to build to rent investors boosted sales in the first half of the year. So it does seem to be means to support new home sales at the moment. It's a real focus at the moment. I mean, built to rent traditionally has been in metropolitan areas. So Paddington is a good example of the sort of area where that has been strong for some years. It's the out-of-town single-family housing stuff where transport is less accessible, etc. And the rental market has been slower to mature in those places. But it's definitely a sector of interest to the market. When we're supporting, when our clients are are supporting new settlements, there's some reticence to accept a parcel of 100, 150 homes all in the rental sector. It feels to them like it's not, I suppose, authentic to a way a new settlement would ordinarily come forward. So they're they're looking at investors that will take a maybe more slightly more pepper potted approach to investing. Now that has its management challenges and just getting that balance right between different tenures in a proper place that works across a broad demographic, it's not easy to reconcile placemaking with what the investor community wants. And that's that's something that we and our clients are, are wrestling with and hopefully finding some answers to at the moment. I guess there aren't any easy answers, but is there an ideal balance on for sale and rental when you're placemaking in that way? The ideal balance has to respond to what the market wants and that changes in place and in time. It's very, very dynamic. In terms of what works from a management perspective, I think I think we have to look to affordable housing there, which is a more mature market as as our cue as to how clustering can work. It's not completely pepper potted, but it it is appropriate and feels genuine to what people want. What can unlock more supply and boost delivery? Because clearly that's the big question here, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think, unfortunately, we've seen just a continuation of a long-term trend in dropping supply in, in student and in BTR, just not enough being provided to the market. I think, essentially, when we look at that misalignment between demand and supply across all of them, although there's headwinds that, that apply to all three, so seniors, BTR, student, those headwinds, sorry, being like rising bill costs, site costs, skills and labour shortages, higher financing costs. I do think that we could maybe potentially argue that PBSA and seniors are a little bit more challenged with slightly trickier to navigate planning policy. So I think that might be a little bit of a key in unlocking more, more supply or delivery of supply in those sectors. I think to delve into that a little bit more, BTOR has always slightly had its nose in front of students and seniors in terms of the fundamentals like site location, availability, just that ability to get through the planning system quickly. I think students, there can be a 
some policy and political headwinds at play that might make the process a little bit more difficult. And then for seniors, it's just not as well trodden a path. Lack of policy and clarity is definitely a disadvantage to development there. But um, to reiterate what I said earlier on in the podcast, we just need more beds in every cohort. And yeah, it's not just one one particular place we need to focus on. Interesting to hear your views, Katie, on planning policy and, and how delays may differ across the living sectors. Charlie, from your perspective, clearly Labour and the Conservatives have recently set out very different positions when it comes to house building and planning. What do you think needs to change? The uncomfortable truth, and this is probably a slightly controversial thing to say, is if you sort out the planning system, I don't think you're actually going to lead to more houses being built straight away. What you'll do is you'll create a much more efficient system, which will, if it's more efficient, then the risk of not getting planning goes down. Therefore, landowners, promoters will accept a lower uplift. That uplift has to reflect cost and risk. So it's all about creating a more efficient system is definitely a focus that we would we would significantly support. But don't do that expecting suddenly to unlock vast amounts of development. It will actually just mean that you need less land in your hopper to deliver at a certain production rate. The uncomfortable truth is that every house building site could build faster if it could sell faster. That sort of suggests that private housing delivery broadly meets demand at a point in time. I suppose it might be more relevant for Katie's sectors, given demand is slightly more supportive at the moment on those. If planning was more straightforward, then we could effectively see faster delivery in, in the areas that we that we really need. So essentially seniors, student, rental product, etc., yeah, I think I'd agree with that, Anna. I think, well, we comfortably say inside in internal and external conversations that I think for student and seniors, you're adding at least six months onto your kind of planning process timeline versus that of, let's say, BTR um, timeline. And that just adds risk to Charlie's point. And if you were to create a more efficient system that eliminated that, one would assume that uh, down the line, obviously, they can't be built overnight, but development would benefit. It's the same in, in, in new homes, the house builder survey that showed that house builders are allowing something crazy, like half of them over a, a year to just to get reserved matters. So that's only the second stage, which should take, it should technically take 13 weeks, <laughs> but it's just building in all this extra time. And it's just a point worth making is that that impacts the smaller builders, the SMEs, a lot harder than than the big house builders who have the balance sheet to keep a much larger land bank effectively a, a larger hopper to cope with an inefficient system and a volatile market whereas the SME is kind of operating a lot more hand to mouth if planning doesn't work and that's combined or is inefficient and that's combined with a downturn that's when they get really really well their conditions obviously are, are very very tough for them and that's why we we have these sort of unfortunate shakeouts that happen in the industry when there's a downturn it's, it just impacts disproportionately the the small developers. Well, thank you both for covering such a lot of ground. I think we really got to the heart of the issue towards the end of this. I mean, Charlie, I know you don't think planning will solve everything, but I think it sounds from what you're both saying that it might solve a few issues, even if it wouldn't <laughs> drive up enormous amounts of housing to begin with. So thank you for joining me and uh, look forward to having you both back on. Thank you, Anna. Anna, thanks so much for, for having us today. For more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. See our show notes for more details. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks. <laughs>